Hollywood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. All right, let's take out our Bibles now. Turn in them in the New Testament to the book of 2 Timothy and chapter number 3. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one under a chair in front of you. You could take that Bible and turn in the back part to page 166, and you would be at 2 Timothy chapter 3. You know, for all of us, the future begins today. And when we are facing the future, a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ should always be a positive thinker. Whatever the situation may be in the world, whatever the circumstances may be in our life, we should always be a positive thinker because God is large and in charge, and we can never step outside of his providence. We can be a positive thinker because the victory has been won. The end has been determined. We can be a positive thinker because we have been adopted into God's family. We have an inheritance ahead. There is a secure future for a believer in Jesus Christ. And so we ought always be a positive thinker. Yet we also have to be a realistic person. We live in a world that is perishing. Yes, this world has limited days. It's not going to go on forever. We need to be realistic because we live in a world that is spiraling downward. We live in a world where depravity raises its ugly head, illustrated by those events this past week in the Boston Marathon. When those two young men set off bombs that killed three people and, and maimed many. You know what I found was interesting about those events? It's fascinating to me how easily surprised people are that such a thing would happen. And yet, Scripture is so clear, as it says in Jeremiah 17.9, that the human heart is more deceitful than anything else and is desperately sick. We shouldn't be surprised when things like that happen. We're involved in a, in a study of the book of 2 Timothy. It's a study that we have entitled Maintaining Spiritual Traction in a Shifting Culture. And the title of today's message is Facing the Future. Today we're going to get a last day's alert. And it's very vital that we have this because we need to stay anchored to God's perspective as life happens and as the pathology of society goes awry. And so that's our goal, to stay anchored to God's perspective. We want to look at the first nine verses of chapter 3. I would like to read those verses. If you have your Bibles opened or turned on, follow along as I'm reading. Paul says in verse 3, But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, 
revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men, such people as these. For among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Just as Jonas and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men will also oppose the truth, men of depraved mind, rejected in regard to the faith. But they will not make further progress, for their folly will be obvious to all, just as Jonas and Jambres' folly was also. Now, in these verses we have before us today, we have a divine autopsy on the sinful human heart. We have depravity on parade. And the future for you and for me is a future where we will experience this kind of an environment. And part of what Paul is saying to us is don't be caught off guard. Now, our our plan today involves two things as we unpack these verses. First of all, we're going to look at the distortion of character in verses 1 to 5. Secondly, we're going to look briefly at the danger of false teachers in verses 6 to 9. But let's dive right into it. Look at verse 1. Very interesting connective. He says, but realize this. In the original language, this is a very clear command. The NIV translates it, mark this. The ESV says, understand this. And it is in the original language what's called a present tense. That means that this should be an ongoing awareness for us. It's not like one day we're aware of this and another day we're not. Uh, If I could just choose a translation, I might translate it this way. Be ever mindful. Always be in touch with this reality. Realize this. Be ever mindful that in the last days, what does that mean, the last days? Well, that phrase, the last days, is used in two different ways in the New Testament. I want to look at them. The first way that it is used is that phrase, the last days, is used to describe the final days before the return of Christ. Keep your finger in 2 Timothy, turn several books to the right to the book of 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3. And we see the phrase, the last days, used here to describe the very final days before the return of Christ. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. He says, know this first of all, verse 3, that in the last days, and he's referring here again to these 
final days before the return of Christ, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, and here's what they're going to be saying. Where is the promise of his coming? You know, his second return, his second coming. For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. In other words, they're saying, hey, it's been centuries since Jesus left and you say he's coming back. (laughs) Centuries and centuries and centuries and centuries. When is he coming? So, sometimes when you see the phrase, in the last days, it's referring to those final days before the return of Christ. There is a second way that that phrase in the last days, is used in the New Testament, and that is it's used to describe the inter-advent age. What do we mean by the inter-advent age? Well, advent means coming. You had the first coming of Christ, and then you have the second coming of Christ. And so the inter-advent age is all of the time between when Jesus came the first time and then was ascended back up into heaven, and he comes the second time. And we see The phrase, in the last days, used in that sense in the book of Hebrews in chapter number 1. Just notice verse 1, it says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets, he's talking about the Old Testament era, in many portions and in many ways, here it comes, verse 2, in these last days, he's spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things. Now, when he uses the phrase in the last days here, he's not talking about just those final days before the return of Christ when people are going to say, well, he's never coming back. He's talking about the inter-advent age. You had the Old Testament, but now God speaks to us through Christ. And that is a description of the last days. So when you go back to 2 Timothy chapter 3, And he says, realize this, be ever mindful that in the last days, what is he talking about? Well, I I believe he's talking about primarily that second meaning, the inter-advent age. I mean, after all, he is warning Timothy about this. And Timothy is not one who's going to be living in the final days just before Christ returns. He is warning the Ephesian church. He is warning all the believers over the centuries. He's warning us. He's basically saying this. We're in the fourth quarter of spiritual history, even though it's been a a period of time. We're in the final leg of the race towards the climax of history. So I think He's caring about a discussion here of the last days referring to the whole inner advent age. But let your eyes go down to verse 13. It says, but evil men, evil people that we're going to see described earlier in the chapter, and imposters, we're going to see them also being described. Notice what it says, will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. This is going to be somewhat true of the whole inner advent age, but what he's saying, it's going to go from bad to worse as you move along. It's going to pick up greater intensity. There's going to be an intensity that will be much greater in those final days before the return of Christ. 
So realize this. Be ever mindful that in the last days, difficult times will come. This word here that's translated times is a word in the original language that means epics. It means seasons. Part of what he's saying is that throughout the church age, this inner Advent age, there's going to be particular seasons and particular epics when things are going to get to be very difficult. And it will have greater intensity as the end nears, as we escalate our approach to the second coming. Be ever mindful that in the last days, difficult times will come. The NIV translates this, interestingly enough, terrible times will come. So it's an interesting word. It's only used two times in the New Testament. The only other time it is used is in the Gospel of Matthew in the eighth chapter to describe two men who were demon-possessed. Difficult times, terrible times. We could translate it vicious times. If I was going to pick out a word, I would probably pick out the word menacing. Be ever mindful that in the last days, menacing times will come. There will be epics and seasons where things will be very menacing. Now, we're going to take a look at this, and I have to say, this is not necessarily a fun passage, but it is indispensable, it is essential if we're going to stay anchored as we face these times. So that leads us to the first major thing as part of our plan today. We want to look at the distortion of character in the last days. Now, we see a list here, and it's a list of 19 characteristics. It parallels another list that Paul gives in the book of Romans in chapter 1, verses 28 to 32. And you can go and look at that list. It's some of the same terms are used. But he's going to point out here 19 characteristics of the last days in terms of character. And as we review through this list this morning, he's going to be giving a divine autopsy on the human heart. Now here's what I think is important for us to do as we work through these 19 characteristics in the next few moments. I think each of us should do this. As we're hearing these characteristics, we should reflect on what we see in the world today. What are we seeing in the world today? And secondly, I think we should contemplate where perhaps we, in our own character, are being squeezed into the mold of the world. Not only do we just want to see what's going on in the world, but maybe we're being squeezed into this kind of character in some way or another. So he says, be ever mindful that in the last days, menacing times will come. For men, for, for people, will be lovers of self. And that's where it all starts. Being lovers of self. You know, ultimately, the world's problem is not the weather. It's not global warming. The world's problem is not cancer. It's not disease. The world's problem is that people are lovers of self. They have bought into the me agenda. We have a fancy word today called narcissistic. Someone who's narcissistic 
is just a lover of themselves. They just call their own shots. They just chart their own course. It's all about them. And this is the core of depravity. And depravity spreads out from there. Notice he goes on to say, in the last days, people will be lovers of money. Sometimes people misunderstand what the Bible has to say about money. Uh, The Bible considers money to be morally neutral. It's just a matter of what you do with money or the affection that you have towards money. That's the issue. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10, it says, The love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And Luke tells us in the Gospel of Luke chapter 16, verse 14, it's just an interesting throw-aside little phrase. It says, the Pharisees were lovers of money. See, that's a mark of depravity. And this was an issue at Ephesus. You would remember that's where Timothy is. And Ephesus was a prosperous, very prosperous commercial center. There was a lot of wealth there. And it's an issue in our culture because we live in a prosperous place. And it isn't interesting. You just cannot go a week where you don't hear about or read about or see that people have been lying and cheating and stealing and embezzling. Why do they do that? Because they're lovers of money. In the last days, number three says that people will be boastful. Just a word that means to magnify yourself, to exaggerate your ability, to exaggerate your accomplishments. People who are boastful uh, are know-it-alls. You ever run into those folks? You know, we have some people in our extended family are like that. Just know-it-alls. They're boastful. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 31, it says, if you're going to boast... Boast in the Lord. You know, brag about God. You know, brag about yourself. In the last days, people will be, number four, arrogant. Very interesting, picturesque word. It takes the word in the original language for to appear, and then it adds the word over and connects it together. See see the picture? Someone who's arrogant appears over other people. Someone who's arrogant is haughty. They think that they're better than others. Remember the Pharisee in Luke chapter 18, verse 11? He's having his little prayer time with God, and he says, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. It's arrogant, that's haughty. You know, someone who just has great joy when they look in the mirror and they're thinking, you know... Look at how impressive I am. Just look at me. I am so wonderful. And because people will be haughty and arrogant, number five, they will be revilers. The NIV and the ESV translate it abusive. They will treat other people with contempt. They will disregard the value of others. In the last days, he says, we need to be ever mindful that people will be disobedient, number six, to parents. And it may be a little surprising that that one even shows up in a list of depravity. But what's interesting is if you cross-reference the list in Romans chapter 1, same phrase pops up. 
People will be disobedient to parents. It's a high-handed violation of the fifth commandment where we are to honor our father and our mother. And see, someone who's disobedient to parents, really it's ultimately again, back to being a lover of self, it's all about you. That's why you reject counsel. That's why you fail to show courtesy and respect. And by the way, I think this attribute taken with the next one, number seven, ungrateful, makes up what we might call the Beavis and Butthead Syndrome. Disobedient to parents and ungrateful. It means unappreciative. See, someone who's like this just thinks, I deserve all this stuff. I deserve people to do things my way. The mentality becomes that other people exist for your benefit. In the last days, it says also, number eight, people will be unholy. The New Living Translation translates it, they consider nothing sacred. They have no sense of decency. Now, let me ask you, do you see that in the culture today? That there are people who consider nothing to be sacred. They have no sense of decency. In the last days, number nine, people will be unloving. The ESV translates it, they will be heartless. And it's a particular kind of heartlessness. It's a heartlessness that goes towards those that they're related to. Isn't that interesting? Being unloving and being heartless. We see that with husbands in the way that they relate to their wives when they batter their wives, when there's verbal and physical abuse. They are being heartless. They're showing heartlessness. We see it with parents and their children, when parents mistreat their children, when some parents, even in the name of Jesus, beat their kids up, being heartless, heartlessness. In the last days, people, number 10, will be irreconcilable. Literally, it just says in the original, they will be without truce. <laughs> They're unforgiving. They're unyielding. There's no compromise. You screwed up, you're forever in the doghouse with me. And in the last days, number 11, they will be malicious gossips. Literally, it means to speak evil about other people. Someone who takes pleasure in verbally running people down. In the last days, number 12, people will be without self-control. You know, here we go, here we go. That's not descriptive of folks today. There's no self-restraint in their life at all. In the last days, people will be, number 13, brutal. Very interesting word in the original language. It takes the word for tamed and adds an alpha privative in front of it. The total opposite of being a tamed person. Someone who is brutal. Someone who is savagely ruthless which is exactly what those two marathon bombers were. In the last days, it says, number 14, people will be haters of good. It's interesting, in Titus chapter 1 and verse 8, when it's talking about qualifications of elders and overseers in the church, one of those qualifications is that they are to be a lover of good. 
They're to be an advocate for that which is worthwhile and beneficial and honorable. Well, here we have that exact phrase, being a lover of good, and again, you have that alpha privative put in front of it. Haters of good. Haters even of things that are beneficial. Haters of things that are honorable. And we have people running around today and you start talking about wanting to protect the unborn and they think you are the stupidest person on the face of the planet. They're haters of good. Or even protecting marriage, standing up for marriage. In Hebrews chapter 13, Paul tells us that we're to hold marriage in high honor. Did you do that? And you got people who are haters of good. They're coming after you because marriage is something that's worthless to them. In the Old Testament, in Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20, God says, Woe to those who call evil good and call good evil. In the last days, times are going to be menacing. And number 15, people will be treacherous. They will be a traitor. It's the opposite of being loyal. Someone who is treacherous will, will actually feign friendship with you in order to enrich themselves, in order to enhance their position. You know, it's interesting how in the Scripture, basically it tells us this. We are to worship God, we're to love others, and we're to use things. But our depravity makes us distort all of that, so we end up worshiping ourselves. we end up loving things, and we use others. And when that happens, there is spiritual disaster, not only in your own individual life, but in the life of other people and in the life of the culture. In the last days, people will be reckless. The NIV translates it, they will be rash. It means to be hasty with your speech, hasty with your action. It means that people will be impulsive. They're going to take wild chances without any concern for consequences. And I see that happen so often. I, I, we're in a college community, and I, I watch people approach marriage. I'm out there at these various marriage getaways, and a lot of people are just reckless. They're just rash. They just marry too quickly. They don't really think about everything they need to think about about marriage. And then I, I'm also seeing that people get remarried too quickly. They don't do any kind of a, an autopsy on what happened in a previous relationship. This relationship falls apart for whatever reason, and we just go out and we do it all over again, oftentimes ending up in serial marriages. It's just reckless. It's just rash. We see people doing that by jumping into deep debt. We just keep handing our plastic cards to people until suddenly, whoa, we didn't think about the consequences of all of this, part of depravity. In the last days, people will be conceited. The ESV translates it, swollen with conceit. They have an exaggerated view of their own importance and their own intelligence. Reminds me of a, a story of Oscar Wilde, who was returning to England and going through customs. And as he went through customs, he said this, I have nothing to declare but my genius. He wasn't joking, he was serious. 
In the last days, it says, number 18, people will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And what's really interesting, in the original language, there's a play on words that Paul does here. He says, they will be lovers of pleasure. Phile danos versus phile theos. You know, P-H-I-L-E-D-O-N-O-S rather than phile theos, the word for God. In the last days, people will be phile danos rather than phile theos. They're going to choose personal pleasure over pleasing God. And you know what's interesting to me? Sometimes people outside the faith especially, but even sometimes even Christians, you think, well, if you're going to love God, that means that you have a life without pleasure. Oh, no, 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 no. David points it out in Psalm 1611. He says this. He says, you, God, will make known to me the path of life. God will put you on the path to know how to live life rightly. And he says, in your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. It's not if you love God, you have no pleasure. But in the last days, people will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God because they're into the short term. They're not thinking about the long term. And then the final one, the final characteristic, number 19, is found in verse 5. In the last days, people will hold to a form of godliness. There will be this appearance, this sort of resemblance, this almost this little masquerade about godliness. I mean, they might be running around wearing sacramental robes. They might be going to church on a fairly regular basis. They may have some Bible knowledge. They might be able to talk the talk to appear godly. You know, we have particular individual in our extended family who's exactly like that. Perfect description of him. They hold to this sort of appearance of godliness, but they've denied its power. In Titus 1.16, it says, they profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him. They deny its power. Where is the power? The power is in the gospel it's embracing the person and work of Jesus Christ. In Romans 1.16, it says that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And they have this sort of general appearance of godliness, but they're totally disconnected from the gospel. And having reviewed through those 19 marks of depravity, he has a very short, very strong statement that he makes at the end of verse 5, and that is avoid such men such people as these. This is a command to you and to me. It's a very strong term. The NIV translates it, have nothing to do with people like we've just listed out in those 19 characteristics. The New Living Translation says, stay away from people like that. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, that bad company corrupts good morals. We need to steer clear of folks like this. There's a saying that says, the people are known by the heroes they crown. Let me ask you a question. Who are the heroes that you have in your life? Who are the heroes that you might associate with by way of the media, even in movies, television? 
in the music realm. Stay away from people like this, he says. So the first thing he's letting us know that in the last days there will be a distortion of character. Secondly, in the last days there will be the danger of false teachers. In verses 6 to 9, we're going to go through this really quickly. Look at verse 6. You have these 19 characteristics of depravity, and he says, from that world of depravity, from among them, are those who enter into households and captivate weak women, weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses. From all these depraved people you're going to see, some of them are going to enter into homes. It's, it's very sneaky. It's, it's words that means they're going to creep in. They're going to worm their way in. They're going to be very insidious. And it says they're going to captivate weak women. Now, we need to pause for a moment and just underscore he is not downgrading here women as a whole. He is not saying that men aren't also susceptible to false teaching because we are. But what he's doing here is he's addressing an historical reality that was going on in the city of Ephesus. In that day, women had a very limited education, if any. And very few women were actually employed. And we learn from 1 Timothy chapter 5, that there were many widows, older women, who were in Ephesus. And what these false teachers were doing was targeting vulnerable women. Verse 6, women who'd been weighed down by sins, who were led by various impulses. You remember that Ephesus was an incredibly pagan, sensual city. And what the false teachers were doing was taking advantage of the problems that these vulnerable women had. These are women who were always learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Apparently, they were women who were open-minded to any religious racketeers who might show up. It reminds me of my, my dear grandmother. I remember I would go and visit my grandmother and we would just talk, and I would say, what's going on? What are you learning? And she would tell me, oh, I've been watching these TV evangelists. And she said, I've been watching so-and-so and so-and-so. And, you know, she just swallowed their appeals, and she's writing checks to them. And I'm saying, Grandma, don't do that. You know, that individual is not a legitimate individual. And here's the biblical reasons why I say that. Don't send them money. And when I would come back and visit her again, she maybe stopped with that one and she's picked up with another one. That's the kind of thing that these guys were doing, taking advantage of vulnerable women. And in verse 8, he says, they're just like Jonas and Jambres. Now, if you go, well, who are those guys? Where do they show up in the Bible? You know, their names are not actually in the Bible, but the Holy Spirit here sovereignly identifies them. Now, we learn from this verse and also from tradition that it says that Jonas and Jambres were some of the Egyptian magicians who mimicked Moses' miracles in Egypt. And they're described as of depraved mind and rejected in regard to the faith. In other words, these false teachers are rejected due to a lack of merit. What they do and what they teach does not stack up with the Word of God. 
Have you ever wondered, I mean, I do this all the time. Have you ever wondered, why does God allow all these false teachers out there? Anybody ever thought that thought? Sometimes I just wish we had this big video game, you know, and I could just push the destroy button. Poof. They're all gone. That'd be cool. Maybe you even think sometimes when you see what false teachers can do that could it be that the church, could it be that the church might even be overwhelmed by these dudes? Well, we have an assurance given to us in verse 9 that that's not going to happen. He says, they, he says, these false teachers will not make further progress for their folly will be obvious to all. The New Living Translation translates it this way. They won't get away with this for long. Someday, everyone will recognize what fools they are. In the end, they're going to be shown to be frauds just like Jonas and Jambres were. You see, at times, it may seem like they're winning, and they may be misleading certain people. But Jesus made a very clear statement. He said, I will build my church. And even false teachers will prove not to be fatal to the gospel. See what he's saying here? He's saying that in the last days, depravity is going to worsen. In the last days, false teachers may prosper. But I love the way Chuck Swindoll puts it. He says this, divine truth always prevails. In the end, God wins. Joseph did live to see justice roll down. Pharaoh did finally let the Hebrews go, and they did cross the Red Sea safely. Gideon's 300 men did prevail against a vastly superior army. David did defeat his enormous blaspheming foe, Goliath. Daniel did survive the lion's den. Nehemiah did rebuild the wall around Jerusalem against incredible opposition. Jesus' resurrection did follow his crucifixion, and a handful of ordinary men called apostles did turn the world upside down. We need to be aware, but we don't, need to not, we don't need to panic at all. By the way, in the rest of chapter 3, we're going to get some more keys to staying anchored in the last days. But it'll be a couple of Sundays before we get there. I want to talk about, as we close today, some life response that we can have from this section of Scripture. Here's the first one. Remember, the reign of evil is temporary. See, evil's days are numbered. And even, even evil people's days are numbered. One day, as it says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 to 9, one day Jesus is going to be revealed with his mighty angels. He's going to be revealed to deal out retribution to those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel, and they will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his power. What's happening with this depravity and evil is temporary. We need to remember that. Secondly, Second life response that we can have is evaluate who we associate with. Who are our heroes, really? Even, even by way, again, of the, the media and movies and television and the music realm. Don't have anything to do with the kind of people that are described here. Third life response is 
to respond wisely. And I, I, I would like to read out loud from Romans 13, verses 11 to 14. And as we do this, let's please, just for a second, think of this as Jesus talking directly to us. Time is running out. Wake up. Our salvation is nearer now than when we believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So, remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living because we belong to the day and we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge in your evil desires. We need men and women in the last days to respond wisely. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you again for the word of God. It actually gives me goosebumps. It's so real. It's so relevant. It's what we need. And we need to be ever mindful of the kinds of things that can erupt in the last days. And Father, we would pray that we would be men and women who just don't go with the flow that we're not just influenced, rather we're men and women who respond wisely for your honor and glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. By the way, men and women, in order to do that, we need to let him reign inside of us. Let's sing together.